three, two, one, zero, 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 zero. From the studios of WORQ in Wisconsin, this is the Stand Up For The Truth Podcast. Today's issues, overlooked headlines, and biblical observations, equipping the remnant around the globe. Got your sword handy? This is Stand Up For The Truth. Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. Mary Danielson, David Fiorazzo here. And uh, today's podcast, Why the Resurrection is True and Why You Can Believe It Confidently. We'll talk about that in segment number two. In the first segment, learning from the bad guys of the Bible. A new book called Cancel This is available from our friend, Jonathan Brentner. But first, I want to thank all those who have been signing up for the weekly podcast newsletter. A lot of new people uh, signing up. Thank you. And uh, it's just one email every week. It's just a little recap of the guests you may have missed that week and a couple links to our resources and to our website. All you need to do. It's free, by the way. Did I mention that? No, it's free. Um, go to StandUpForTheTruth.com and click Subscribe. Even I was able to do that. So uh, today, Jonathan Brentner, Christian author, speaker, writer, former pastor, he writes a weekly blog called Our Journey Home, and he's also featured at Harbinger's Daily. And his previous book, The Triumph of the Redeemed, we had him on to talk about that. Another book is in the works. Actually, it's out right now, just released. You can pick it up on Amazon. The paperback, it's called Cancel This, What Today's Church Can Learn from the Bad Guys of the Bible. Jonathan, welcome back to the podcast, brother. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for having me on again. Yeah, well, it's, it's great to have a, a, an author on when a new book is hot off the presses. So uh, I'll just toss it over to Mary here and uh, get your, your take, Mary, on uh, some of the book. I know we both skimmed through it in the last week or so and uh, read some of it. You may have read most of it. Mary's a fast reader. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, Jonathan, it was uh, just getting a glimpse of all the different uh, characters that you, I call them characters, um, I love that you talk about Saul, Joab, Absalom, Ahithophel, Rehoboam, Gehazi, Esau, Eli, Diotrephes, which I did not see coming, Asa, <laughs> Cain, John, Mark, mm-hmm. uh, and how you just, in, you know, you summarize their lives, the, the things that happened with them. Um, in letting you know negative feelings control their responses to circumstances and to the Lord, and I know the Lord wants us to understand the concept that when things go horribly wrong, we are still to react in faith. And and uh, so you know, with that in mind, I guess I wanted to ask you, what led you personally uh, to write the book? What are some of the things that these men had in common? Just take us through that a little bit. What you what your thought process was when you decided to write this book? Well, it, this book was really a long time in the, in coming. Um, many years ago, I did a Bible study um, on many that included many of these characters, and at the time, I was going through a difficult time in my life, and um, the story of Saul really captured my imagination. First, I saw what I saw in the excuses that he gave for his disobedience in First Samuel thirteen. I saw. Um, a lot of myself, and it was there that, um, you know, I first um, started talking and speaking about um, his reaction and where he went wrong and his um, excuses, and it really encouraged my life. And then a little bit, well, actually, it was many years later, maybe a 
couple decades later that I really um, was able to write this book and get it published. So your publisher sent me some information on it, and it says, why read a book about biblical characters who are messed up? (laughs) Because we can learn so much from them by taking a close look at what led to their disastrous decisions and lack of sound judgment at critical times in our lives. And boy, a lot of us just hearing those words can relate to that. We've made mistakes at times in our lives that were critical for decision making and we should have been praying for wisdom and seeking God, but instead we kind of try to do it all on our own. So um, how many how many characters, do you want to point out a specific character that you wrote about in the book or mention just brief bullet points on several who went that route saying, okay, I'm not going to you know, go to God and I'm just going to try to do this on my own. That's kind of human nature. Yes. Yeah, as far as making um, really bad decisions, um, Rehoboam comes to mind first of all, you know, and it was interesting that Rehoboam was, was 41 years old when he became king, and we know that Solomon reigned for 40 years, so all that Rehoboam knew was the, were the glories and the fabulous luxury he lived in for the time under Solomon. Mm. And we just see that his unfortunate decision to, in response to the people who wanted to make him king all came about, I believe, from, from just his trust in the, in the luxuries of the past and wanting to hold on to them, and also for not not trusting the Lord. He really never had a relationship with the Lord, and we also know that his mom was um, was not Jewish. She was someone, I forget um, her nationality right now, but she was someone for whom um, Solomon built up a pagan temple for her, and then he awarded her by allowing her son to become the next king. And so a lot of unfortunate decisions, but they came about from people not understanding God's word, from not going to him in prayer at times of when they make critical decisions in their Mm -hmm. life. By the way, the very last um, page, before you move on to chapter 7, the last sentence is, King Rehoboam's life demonstrated a total allegiance to temporal realities with no thought of his life in eternity. And one thing you say uh, in the book that um, these his disastrous decision resulted from a lifetime of seeking pleasure rather than the Lord. I think of 2 Timothy 3, and mm-hmm. uh, they will be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Um, yeah. Jonathan, I want to thank you for putting this section after each chapter uh, called Walking with God, and you put study note you you have questions for discussion and i th- and then a key lesson uh, kind of summing up that person and what we can learn i thought that was a great decision did you think about that or did someone else uh, suggest you do that i think that's a great addition to the book um yeah i came up with it but i think it was also encouraged by other people too that you know that the book could be a, a really good study book Mm-hmm. And so, if, so I don't know if I thought about it myself <laughs> or or not, but but in the the original draft of this book, it, it wasn't there. It was added a little bit later, and yeah, and I, you know, and the book can be used for for Bible studies. Mm-hmm. And I know that Defender Publishing is going to um, in the future um, promote this 
and have a discount for pastors or churches who use it, who order oh. um, a multiple copies of it for that purpose. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. good to know. So kudos, brother. I mm-hmm. really like that feature of the book. Well, and I'm thinking this would be great for a men's study. I mean, yes. I'm familiar with so yes. many women's books, and there are many, many to women, some good and not some not mm-hmm. so good. But this would be perfect um, because at the very back you have a chapter called Life Will Never Go As Planned. Maybe mm-hmm. that should be at the beginning. But <laughs> There's a disclaimer, right? Yeah, yeah. There's a disclaimer about yeah. all of us. But I, I think I got a lot out of this. I, I love the way you summarize these men's lives. I love the way you give a, an example in modern history, say Napoleon or whatever, um, that also people can relate to the way they handle the certain situation. It's really put together very concisely, and I would encourage bookstores to carry it. I'm going to encourage ours to. And also small groups of guys or big groups of guys, I yeah. think it would be a wonderful opportunity for them to discuss these things. Yeah, and by the way, friends, we're speaking with Jonathan Brentner, and you can get the book on Amazon. It's called Cancel This, What Today's Church Can Learn from the Bad Guys of the Bible. I love the title. I do, too, and I guess I'm wondering what specifically about the cancel culture made you title this, cancel this. I just want to pick your brain for a second about that. Well, actually, it was... uh the publisher who came up with Cancel This. <laughs> in fact, the the book was already in editing when, when they did it. Oh. But, but, but it really relates to that because so many people in the cancel culture, they want to cancel all that, all that God says, all mm. that God says, of, oh. all that the Bible says about morality and all the, the things that are there. They want to cancel everything about, about God and about what we believe that Scripture teaches. And the thing that this strikes back at is just, just living out the gospel in our everyday lives. That's what the walking with, mm. with God sections are about. Summing up the lessons in a way that mm. teaches us how to live out the truth of the gospel in our, in our everyday lives, as I, as I said. And God calls us to different purposes as far as confronting the cancel culture. Some mm-hmm. people are called to be more outspoken than others, but we all can um, receive the cancel culture just by living out the truth of the gospel in our everyday life. Mm. I like what you write in uh, the chapter, chapter 11 on uh, King Asa, who started last fast and finished last. <laughs> but, but one of the things you wrote in there it, it, about forgetfulness, and that it's, it's kind of human nature to forget what God has done for us and mm-hmm. his faithfulness, his past mm-hmm. faithfulness, let alone what he's doing in our lives now. And you wrote some personal uh, things throughout the book about just sharing your journey and your, uh, just things that you've experienced and uh, God providing answers to your prayers through the years and then... Um, you just kind of move on, right? Just kind of get in, get distracted with the business of life. And you talk about the peace that he gave you about your future when you were at that time. You had many sleepless nights wondering how you would pay the bills and, mm-hmm. uh, but he gave you an amazing peace. Tell us about your personal journey, you know, that you peppered in throughout the book. Uh, yeah, it's very, it's really varied because I'm, I'm older and I've had many experiences in this life, but I think that one of the things that, that I've learned that I bring out in the book is about God's mercy and God's forgiveness of mm-hmm. sins and just understanding, um, the seriousness of the sins that He has forgiven me of and that enables me to forgive the sins of others. And, uh, you know, I think of the parable of the unforgiving servant in Matthew 18, 
And I bring that up in, in one of the chapters. I think it's either on Ahithophel or Absalom. But that is really key for understanding many of the characters because they always thought that the sins of others were so much greater mm-hmm. than their own sins. Mm-hmm. And therefore, they refused to forgive those sins of other people. And so that was a part of my journey. And it's interesting that... I have people in, in my past and, and relatives in my past who were very bitter people, mm. and it sort of gave me a natural resistance to that, but it takes a lot more than just a natural resistance to really forgive them. It takes the Holy Spirit Boy. and understanding God's forgiveness of, of you. And so, so, yeah, that was one of the key things that, that, that came along from that from my journey. And I think another part that played into the book on on Asa was that as someone who's been a Christian for so very long, I was brought up in a Christian home. I first, you know, believed at age seven, was baptized at age eight. It's so easy to to forget God's mercy and his forgiveness. The story of the cross that we celebrate this weekend, the story of the cross and the resurrection especially, you know, they can become such old hat after you've been a Christian for over 60 years. Mm-hmm. Yes. But yes. it mm-hmm. takes, you know, and so that was one of the things I wanted to bring out in the yeah. book on Asa as well. Excellent, excellent. Yes, I, I, in, in reading your story, because I did read your story online, and oh, my, my heart hurt for you and uh, when you were going through these things, but... The whole time I was reading, I was thinking about a quote by Tozer, and I'm just going to read this here. He says, It's doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. God actually rises up storms of conflict at times in order to accomplish that deeper work in our character. We cannot love our enemies in our own strength. This is graduate-level grace. Are you willing to enter this school? Are you willing to take the test? For he brings us through these tests as preparation for greater use in the kingdom, but you must pass the test first. Mm. And whenever I hear of someone going through something profound, and we all do, I think, how can we not? We don't enter this race knowing all the answers. It's impossible. But um, Mm. I I think of, when I think of you, I think of this um, quote by Tozer. Mm. Um, Yes, and and there's a song by Matthew West out that is called My Story, Your Glory. That's right. And I'm actually writing a blog post that I hope to get out either um, either today or tomorrow or early next week that, that sums up just how that song spoke to mm. me because really, you know, I, I did go through uh, much affliction, but mm. now I see how God has used it to mm. bring it all together in the purposes that He has for me and, and for the writing ministry that He has so graciously allowed me to have. Mm-hmm. Well, this. In spite uh, of who I am. Exactly. I'm the. the end of that chapter talks about um, this Asa's life uh, illustrates uh, forgetting all that the Lord has done for us and which causes us to rely on our own strength and that's boy it's so important and I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here because I mm-hmm. you know you're so in the moment um, when you're going through tough times yeah. and, and you, you kind of forget so much that God has done I mean, before we were even born, what God has done for us and his faithfulness, but yet in our lives he's been faithful to provide, to lead, to guide, to to heal, sometimes to uh, discipline us, and uh, he's a good father, isn't he, Jonathan? Oh, yes, he is. He's very good. So you also talk about (laughs) 
in the book through these characters, these men who, who lived, they're real historical people in the Bible. Um, you examine how anger, bitterness, greed, pride, unforgiving spirits, a desire for vengeance can lead uh, men and women uh, down dark paths. And uh, these men that you wrote about ultimately shipwrecked their lives. Um, is there one example you can give us about someone that you wrote about when, it, when we're talking about, I, I think Absalom, but there might be others, vengeance, because what happened to his sister was horrific, and man, you would need so much self-control to not want to take vengeance, but I know vengeance is mm-hmm. the Lord, so talk to us a little bit about that. Well, Ahithophel comes out as the, the one who seemed to be most motivated by revenge mm-hmm. in the book. And we believe that because there is a scripture that mentions that he's the grandfather of Bathsheba. <clears throat> and apparently, he had a very close relationship with Uriah and Bathsheba. And most biblical scholars believe that was the cause of his um, rejection of David and, and desire in the reason that he turned on him so viciously. Mm. And we see that Ahithophel went from being a close friend of David to someone that hated him. And one of the consequences of his hatred towards David and in wanting revenge was that he became a lot like the negative things that he hated about David. Mm. And when he gave advice to Absalom after he um, started his coup against his dad, um, one of the things he said was to go into David's concubines on top of the palace. And, of course, that was encouraging adultery, the very thing that he was angry with David for doing. And then he says that he wants to be the one to kill David. And so you see that he's become murderous. And all along, he didn't trust that God would deal with um, David, you know, correctly for his sins, but he didn't also didn't understand God's mercy towards him. But Ahithophel became so much so enraged by by wanting revenge that it, it turned into a disaster for him, and he eventually hanged himself. Mm, wow. You also have um, two in here that I, I really liked because just of the times we're living in and, and the way the church is at this point. Uh, John Mark. Uh, mm-hmm. And then you also have diatrophies. I knew you were going right. to say diatrophies. I hope I said it right. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You know about uh, modern day churches and and how yep. you know things that we can learn about um, leadership and and what it takes to be a leader that God works in our lives. And then again, John Mark, um, who Paul um, commended later on. But these mm-hmm. are just things that I think we go through as a church that I I think are especially good for our learning. Um, mm-hmm. Is there anybody else in the New Testament that maybe you would want to have put in there? These are ideal, but is there anybody else that maybe got the cutting room floor? Or? <laughs> I'm just curious about that. Uh, no, not really. I can't think of any other characters I might I might have put in there. I'm not sure Peter? how I came up with the 13th original. <laughs> yeah, I don't Peter. remember. But, yeah. but, no, I can't think of any others that I might have put in. Okay. But I like the story of John Mark mm-hmm. because, mm-hmm. you know, it illustrates my life in many ways. And, you know, just uh, having to to leave the ministry, the full time ministry as a pastor, and 
and go into a career as a financial analyst and get an MBA at the University of Iowa <laughs> and then come wow. back to a writing ministry and and that the Lord has miraculously enabled me to do. It's just, you know, I just saw so much of my own story in John Mark and wanted to encourage people that that failure you know, I think that we often experience failures in our lives, even in ministry, but it doesn't mean the end of the rope for us. And look at, you know, Abraham Lincoln. He lost so many elections and was so despised at times, but yet he became one of the greatest presidents in our history. Mm-hmm. Talking about John Mark, um, are there any other details? I know there's not a lot in Scripture, but maybe... Uh, from history, or where did you find out other more information about John Mark? Um, well, church history, I mean, church tradition says that he was, um, he helped, that the Apostle Peter um, helped him write the Gospel of Mark, and that he was um, writing a lot of that Gospel on on the basis of what the Apostle Peter remembered, so there was a close connection between him and Peter eventually, and also, um, he became sort of the leader of the church in Alexandria, I, hmm. I believe. And so God really used him um, even after um, even after the time of Paul to, to really be a, a, a minister and an and a force for Christianity. Mm-hmm. Praise God. Right. It says, uh, I know in your, in your book here, it says, instead, uh, Mark didn't give up. He went on with his cousin on another missionary journey, later became someone Paul praised for his service for the Lord. Mm. Mark's story encourages us because it shows how God can use someone to accomplish great things in spite of our past failures. Um, uh, Paul's great displeasure with him, it's difficult to imagine he would later, with Peter's help, author one of the four gospel accounts, become a highly valued co-laborer and start a thriving church in North Africa. So, mm-hmm. you know, any given day we can uh, fall down and, you know, hurt ourselves, but but God is, you know, so much greater than that. David was a man after God's own heart, and, and look what things David did, so... Um, yeah, it's never the end as long as there's breath in our lungs. Well, John, I mean, uh, John, looking at John, Mark, um, Jonathan, you open mm-hmm. that chapter with First Corinthians fifteen fifty eight, and I just want to quote that. Just such an applicable verse, but it, it's good for all of us, obviously. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, mm-hmm. always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not. In vain, mm-hmm. and that's the very last verse, if I'm not mistaken, in First mm-hmm. Corinthians 15. A phenomenal chapter, which we're going to talk a, a yes. little bit about when after our break. We're taking a break mm-hmm. in a few minutes. Uh, uh, Jonathan Brentner, wrap up uh, just your final thoughts on the book. Of, for our friends just tuning in, it's called "Cancel This: What We Can Learn from the Bad Guys of the Bible." <laughs> okay, it basically focuses on what we can learn from their poor examples, and I have an application section that takes their poor decisions or what caused their poor decisions and turns it into something positive. And then there's a walking with God um, section that explains that what they teach us about walking with God and living out the gospel in our daily lives. And it's also a book that people can give to their unsaved friends Mm. because uh, especially those who are, are familiar with the Bible, hmm. because it, I clearly explain the gospel in the introduction to the book as well as in the chapter on Cain. And there's even much that, that we as believers can learn from the chapter on Cain, because 
not only does it show the importance of the gospel, but it shows the importance of God's acceptance with us in, in our da- in our daily lives. Mm-hmm. And you know, these are predominantly minor characters on the radar, radar screen of most believers, mm-hmm. but. There are things that they can teach us. They messed up at times. We all mess up at times. But rather than let that be the the end of our story, we can come back Mm -hmm. and God can give us second chances and we can learn from their mistakes. I wonder what they would think about having their mistakes in books. In the Bible. Yes, yes, forever in the the course of life. But still, and, and a lot of their mistakes affected History affected oh, yeah. a lot of people, but God covered all that. Here's the thing. We may mess up and we may uh, kick ourselves because so-and-so saw us mess up or we mm-hmm. affected other people's lives, and yet God's bigger than all that as well. And so I found that to be very encouraging in your book, too. Oh, thank you. And even some of the great heroes of faith, like Abraham and Jacob, had times that weren't so glorious in their lives, but God you know, used them in amazing ways. Yep. So let's transition now. We've got five minutes left uh, before we have to take our break. And uh, Jonathan, also, we we had talked about how it's kind of neat that you're with us on Good Friday because we want to talk a little bit about the resurrection, which we will do in segment two. But I want to read the scripture that I just opened up this morning, um, and that is First Peter chapter two, starting in verse twenty-one. And you can share your thoughts on what these these scriptures are saying after I read them. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Jonathan, mm-hmm. first thing that comes to mind. Um, well, you know, I think that, you know, so often we can look at how we've been mistreated and forget <laughs> that our Savior was was mistreated so much worse than we could ever experience in this life, and yet um, He willingly laid down His life um, on our behalf, and it's something that we remember this day, Good Friday, that He willingly gave down His life, and we're so eager to to strike back at those who offend us, but we look at the Lord and just how willingly he sacrificed his life and trusted the outcome to his Father, and we know that that he died on the cross for our sins so that we might have eternal life. Mary, it sounded awful an awful lot like Isaiah 53, mm-hmm. where uh, mm-hmm. Isaiah writes, Surely our griefs he himself bore, mm-hmm. our sorrows he carried, and then the verse fifth, verse five. But he was pierced through for our transgressions; he was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. Another translation famously says, "By his stripes 
we are healed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep, it's just fantastic. I mean, I, I, I'm thankful for Good Friday because we can meditate on these things. I yeah. remember his sacrifice. Yes, and yeah. I, I remember as a youngster, I, you know, I came out of the the Catholic Church, but we had this little magazine that we had to read, and we, our mother made us sit for three hours on Good Friday. We could not budge or move. We had to sit in our chairs. Um, and not do anything. Wow. And I used that time to actually meditate. I was in third grade. I remember thinking about all this, and I mm. it had it's actually part of my testimony. But whether we're young or old, we can take this opportunity to really, really meditate on what this all means, and we need to do that. Jonathan, this kind yeah. of I mean, we just have a minute left here. This kind of reminds me of what we were talking about regarding your book that we often miss the faithfulness of God, and this we're talking in this context the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for us when we go on with our busy lives. And we need to learn some of these lessons that suffering, I mean, James, you know, consider all joy when you, uh, con- when you yep. con- are encounter various trials because the testing of your faith produces endurance. I think of Hebrews and all those who were mentioned um, brutally, brutally uh, uh, suffered, died, yeah. uh, they were martyred. And here we are, we, we have this opportunity now mm-hmm. to carry Mm-hmm. this forward and just share the gospel. Yes, we were bought with a price, and there is yeah. a cost. We need to count the cost uh, in all all the, in all the seasons and all times of following Christ. So, mm-hmm. Jonathan Brentner, uh, we'll pick it up when we come back, and we're going to talk about the hope we have. And there's a lot of evidence, friends. You... I mean, a lot of people, if you have not done a deep dive, a study on this, the evidence for the, for the resurrection and, and all the hope that we have, it is something that is so secure. It, like many have said, it takes so much more faith to be an atheist or to not believe. <laughs> uh, Annie, we'll talk about that when we come back with our guest, Jonathan Brentner. Why have so many followers of Christ through the years, centuries, why did they die for their faith instead of deny Jesus? They were convinced the resurrection was true. More coming up on Stand Up for the Truth. Did you know that the Stand Up for the Truth podcast is 100% produced by the Q90FM radio staff in Green Bay, Wisconsin? Most people don't. When you support Stand Up for the Truth, your tax-deductible donations fund our ministry's operations, programming, and outreach ministries. Stand Up for the Truth, Q90FM, and Lakeshore Communications Incorporated. Thank you for your prayers and support. Our social media pages are shadow banned. Thanks for your prayers and sharing our posts at StandUpForTheTruth.com. In 1986, the American Medical Association published an article, The Physical Death of Jesus Christ. It details the entire process of Jesus' trial to his death on the cross. In Luke 22, before Jesus is arrested, it is written that he was in great distress and sweating blood. Although rare, it is recognized as hematidrosis caused by high amounts of stress. At that time, the crucifixion was considered the worst death for the worst of criminals, but this is not all Jesus faced. He endured whipping so severe that it tore the flesh from his body. He was beaten so horrific that his face was torn and his beard ripped. A crown of thorns, two to three inches long, cut deeply into his scalp, The leather whip used to flog him had tiny iron balls and sharp bones. It caused internal injuries. The sharp bones ripped his flesh. His skeletal muscles, veins, and bowels were exposed, causing major blood loss. 
Men, most men, do not survive this kind of torture. After Jesus was severely flogged, he was forced to carry his own cross while people mocked and spat on him. Crucifixion was a process meant to instill excruciating pain, creating a slow and agonizing death. Nails as long as eight inches were driven into Jesus' wrists and feet. The Roman soldiers knew the tendon in the wrists would tear and break, forcing Jesus to use his back muscles to support himself to breathe. Imagine the struggle, the pain, the courage. Jesus endured this reality for three hours, well, six hours. Um, the Gospel of John writes that after, after Jesus' death, a Roman soldier pierced his side with a spear, and blood and water came out. Scientists explain that from this kind of shock, the rapid heart rate causes fluid to gather in the sac around the lungs and heart. The gathering of fluid in the membrane around the heart is called pericardial effusion and the lungs pleural effusion. To the world, Christianity is as foolish as it can get. They believe that it's for the weak. But when you are confronted by the reality of the cross, it's clearly not a pretty sight. It's brutal and horrific. This is the weight Jesus carried, the weight of the sins of the world, all so that we can live. God's wrath is fully satisfied in Jesus. This is what it took. Repent and believe. Jesus is God among us in the flesh. Take cover in the body and blood of Jesus our Savior. In the miracle of the Eucharistic Jesus, he loves you so much, he went through this spiritual and physical punishment for your sins and mine. Jesus is Lord, Almighty God, Everlasting Father. We've linked to that in today's blog at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Jonathan, your thoughts? Oh, yes. We sometimes forget all the horror that the Lord endured. And, you know, I, I believe that if he just, you know, died, let's say, just of a heart attack, it would not, and then rose again, it would not have really demonstrated um, the seriousness of our sins <clears throat> or the seriousness of the Father taking out his wrath on the mm. Son um, in our place. It, you know, it just shows that these are the things we deserve. And so it just shows the seriousness of of our sins, but yet we are freely forgiven because of his death on the cross. Mm. And Isaiah, it's it's amazing to think of this, what you just said, the Father pouring out his wrath so that we the, the, our sins could be forgiven. Verse 10 in Isaiah 53 says, But the Lord was pleased to crush him, mm. putting him to grief. And then a little later on, of course, it says that by his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. That's that's heavy. The the price was so costly, only Jesus, only God in the flesh could have paid it. Mm -hmm. And yet the the Bible speaks of this uh, crimson thread from the beginning. Mm. As soon as sin happened, there was a plan. Mm. A plan was in place before the foundation of the world. Yeah, before the first sin. And and he allowed himself to feel that pain and go through all that suffering. It's just, uh, I don't know, we cannot ever pay that debt. So, Jonathan, let's transition now, um, knowing that this happened. I mean, there's, there is proof. There are, are extra biblical testimonies. There's historians, proof that Jesus did live, was, was crucified. I mean, you've got, we've got records on this, historical documents. He died on the cross. 
He was buried, and the the whole controversy is that empty tomb. Mm-hmm. What did the leaders do? The the leaders in Jerusalem and in Israel. What did they do? They made up a lie. They told the Roman soldiers. Well, they, in fact, it was corrupt. They paid off the Roman soldiers to say, "Here's what you got to tell people that happened to his body." They admitted. That, they, that the tomb was empty. They testified that the tomb was empty by making up a story that the, that the disciples stole the body. Your thoughts on that? Um, yeah, it just shows the, the hardness of hearts of people who will not believe when confronted mm. with, all, with yeah. all the evidence. <clears throat> Many of them saw Lazarus rise from the dead, and they still would not believe, even after Jesus called him forth. And even when confronted with the truth of the resurrection, uh, many of the Jewish leaders refuse to believe. It just shows that it takes more than just evidence. It mm-hmm. takes, you know, God changing our hearts to believe. But we also know that several of the of the priests and Pharisees eventually did come to faith in Jesus because of the resurrection. But it just shows the hardness of people's hearts. Even today, um, you know, we can talk about the proofs for the resurrection, but if people are inclined to reject their message, it doesn't seem to to make any path, any headway in in changing them. And by the way, uh, Mary and Jonathan, anyone living at that time could have publicly examined the empty tomb for themselves. Many probably did. Imagine this would this word would travel pretty fast. <laughs> this, first of all, this guy that they thought was Messiah or some thought was a political, you know, conqueror was was crucified and then he was buried and put into a tomb and now it's empty. What happened? You know, people traveled from miles to come into Jerusalem and go into that tomb and just say, "Well, what? Yeah, it's empty. I saw it for myself. What happened to the body, Mayor? What do you think when you think back on those times and what human nature people would have walked?" for probably a couple of days if they just they wanted to see it for themselves. Yes, I, I I can't imagine living then. I mean, we live now in an incredible time, and I think it would have been... <laughs> we just pull up our iPhone and right. someone's videotaping the empty tomb. We would just right. say, okay, there it is. Right, but there is, <laughs> there is so much testimony, and, and mm-hmm. uh, um, I, th- I think that it's just... Uh, I, I can hardly even talk about this particular thing because it, it is the foundation of our faith, Um if if Christ does not rise, then the dead in Christ will not rise. I mean, we will not rise to eternal life, and the ungodly will not rise to judgment. I mean, it mm-hmm. is absolutely. Uh, and why would these uh, men deny this this uh, resurrection? Because they had an awful lot to lose. They would never go abroad with the gospel, at, and mm-hmm. their own lives being threatened constantly. We wouldn't have the Book of Acts. We wouldn't have any of these things. Um, so they would have been crazy to actually go abroad and do all these things and so we we have to trust them uh otherwise you know our preaching is in vain what you and i are doing here jonathan what you do every day is in vain if christ is not risen yeah first corinthians 15 12 if 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 it is preached that christ has has been raised from the dead how can some of you say there is no resurrection jonathan Mm -hmm. what do you think um yeah i think that is one of the more overlooked um, passages in, in the New Testament. You get to verse 19. It says, in, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, mm-hmm. we are people most to be pitied. Mm. And, but yet so many people forget about the resurrection of believers. And going back to right. something Mary said, you know, when, when Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, he was preaching in Jerusalem 
where people had witnessed the, the crucifixion of Jesus, and he preached that Jesus had risen from the dead, and 3,000 men responded to his message. And so you can see that people did have an opportunity to examine the evidence, and people that listened to Peter preach about Jesus, they were ready to respond to the message because they knew he had risen from the dead. Amen. So go ahead. Yeah, Jonathan, you, a year ago... Um you had a blog post here, and it's from April 15th, 2022, and you say, that's how we know. How do we know? Yes, and I, I really <laughs> like this because it ties into your story from the last um, several years in your testimony um, that you were going through a difficult time, but in the midst of it, in the midst of the, the struggles you were going through, you, that you knew you could not run away from Jesus and that Jesus had walked out of his tomb and you understood. And, and part of this was on a sermon that you had heard in John 6. Um, yeah. And you said it, it brought a fresh awareness of why you could not abandon your trust in Jesus. Uh, because in that chapter, many of those who had begun to follow the Lord after the feeding of the 5,000 had turned away. And then Christ uh, turned to his disciples and he said, and this is it recorded in John six sixty seven. do you want to go as well? And this is one of my favorite verses that Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have mm-hmm. the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And so now we have the resurrection that verifies that, and we have an unshakable foundation. So, Amen. you know, what other things that we know, and you mentioned here, Jonathan, this is how we know uh, Jesus is God, that Jesus is the only way to eternal life. We know because of the resurrection that we live in the last days, and we are going to rise again. I mean, it's such a great article. Now, a year later, is there anything else that you would add to that? What what do we know? What uh, Or this verse in John where Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? Do you have anything, any new insights in the years since you wrote this? Um, I might add that it just, it just shows that regardless of what we're going through, um, the resurrection is a, a bedrock to our mm-hmm. lives. It's the foundation. Absolutely. When I was going through the difficult times, I didn't consciously think of the resurrection most mm. of the time, but there was something that just kept me tethered to the cross, kept sure. me tethered to Jesus, and I believe it was the resurrection. And I think, um, I guess another thing that comes to my mind is because he rose from the dead, we know that Scripture is true. Uh, we know that his words are true because then um, in the New Testament, in the Gospels, he refers to many stories and from the Old Testament, refers to Moses, Jesus refers to Noah, he refers to Lot, he refers to, you know, to God's creation of Adam and Eve. He made them male and female. And so we know from the words of Jesus that that the Old Testament is true. And we also know that the New Testament is true. He talks to the disciples about, about bringing, uh, that the Holy Spirit would cause them to remember things from his life. And he also talked to them about the fact that there are a lot of things he couldn't talk to them yet about because they, w- they wouldn't understand. You know, how were they to understand justification by faith? Mm. Well, they had no grid to understand that before the cross or even mm. immediately after. And so there you see that he's going to reveal more things to them, to his apostles and to Paul. And so I think... I believe that another thing we know because of his resurrection is that the Bible is true. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. And by the way, we forget one of the most powerful things that is documented in the New Testament, eyewitnesses. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesus appeared to at least 10 
uh, he made ten separate appearances that are documented. I'm I would guess there were a lot more than that, but these are the ones that are documented. And mm-hmm. Acts chapter one, first couple of verses, he says he presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible mm-hmm. proofs. Another translation says many convincing proofs being mm-hmm. seen by them during forty days. And speaking yeah. of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So when he was walking on the road to Emmaus, he was teaching them what Moses and the prophets and the Psalms wrote mm-hmm. or said about himself. And I also want to mention that at the cross, there were witnesses at the tomb. Mm-hmm. A Joseph mm-hmm. of Arimathea, Nicodemus, Resurrection Sunday, mm-hmm. Mary Magdalene, Mary, Mary the mother of James, Salome, the upper room at least twice, once when Thomas touched his side, then the road to Emmaus, then another time they were eating with him, and then when six disciples were fishing, Didymus and Nathaniel are mentioned by name, and then the massive group at Jesus' ascension. Um, and, and by the way, over 500, 1 Corinthians 15 tells us, over 500 mm-hmm. believers at the same time, and we know there is no such thing as a mass hallucination. Correct. And so uh, these people saw him. Right, and to be an apostle today, you had to have seen the resurrected Christ. Yes. So when the church talks about apostles, so-called, mm. and they yeah. name themselves, that yep. cannot be true. Here's a great article, and it, it, it puts together, if there is no resurrection, but if the resurrection is true. And it's great, <laughs> because if there is no resurrection, we know from Corinthians that preaching is in vain. What we're doing is in vain today. The apostles are false witnesses. The whole New Testament becomes questionable um, and everyone, you know, you're, you remain in your sins. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's not good news. But then when you look at the opposite, if the resurrection is true, then Christ is ruling and reigning on the throne of God. He will return. He will Amen. resurrect those who trust in him. Preaching is fruitful. Uh, faith is fruitful because it promises forgiveness. The apostles are the most important spokesmen in the world. Number five, sins will be forgiven. Death will be defeated. Because the one who died for sins now lives to grant forgiveness. Mm. Number six, death is a defeated foe. And number seven, uh, we are undeserving heirs, but we have hope now and forever. So that's the good news. Amen. Um, Jonathan, um, did you hear something recently, some news item, that someone's trying to change um, how we... Are we base time on the calendar BC before Christ and AD? And now they're trying to change BC. Have you heard about that? Um, no, not really. Yeah. But it doesn't surprise yeah, me. Isn't that I funny? Specifically about it for all That's these years, centuries, t- thousands of years. All of a sudden, well, you know what? That, that when we say BC yeah. and use yeah. these calendars, that acknowledges Jesus Christ's birth. Right. <laughs> it's right. just astounding. They they want to try to erase him. They want to cancel him, Jonathan, from yeah. history. Right. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that um, the prophet Daniel mentioned that the Antichrist would do. He'd want to change um, the times <laughs> yes. and the seasons. Yes, you read my mind, Jonathan. I was just about to throw yeah. that out there. <laughs> well, so so there's so much. I'm, I'm looking at the case for the resurrection. We have so many notes in front of us, but a short time. Uh, we know and we believe true. Some some would say here's another conspiracy theory. Jesus didn't really die on the cross. Mm-hmm. That's why the tomb was empty. He never made it there. That's what the, some actually tried to say that. But we yeah. know, there's, let's just talk about that briefly. The Roman soldiers would not have allowed Jesus to survive. They were commissioned to execute him, period. Also, the soldiers didn't break his legs because when they got to him, testimony hit, says he was already dead. 
but they broke the legs of the two that were crucified on either side of him. Also, remember Jesus being pierced through for our transgressions? He was pierced, and John said he saw blood and water come from Jesus' side. That's that medical condition where it gathers there. That was after Jesus died. Uh, also, the living Jesus does, doesn't show up anywhere else in human history just in Jerusalem in that area to, to appear to people that believed in him and he taught them. And uh, so there's so much more. But So we know um, we have a couple clues for when he comes back. And Jonathan, I want to get your take on this in Acts chapter 1, 9 through 11. The angels that said, hey guys, what are you doing? Staring, staring up, gawking up into heaven when Jesus ascended, right? While they looked up toward heaven, they said, men of Galilee... Why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. That's a mm-hmm. pretty big clue about his return, mm-hmm. isn't it, Jonathan? Oh, yes. They will meet him in the air. They will meet him in the clouds. And <clears throat> I think a few years back I wrote a blog post about that. That, like, you know, when we look at the clouds, sometimes um, we can think that Yes, we're going to meet Jesus up there. I think it'll be a very quick um, event when Jesus comes for us and we're raptured and caught up to be with him. I think before we know it, we'll be in glory with him. But that's where, we're, that's where the Bible says we'll meet him, in, in the air or in the clouds. And yeah, so the clouds can even be a reminder uh, of Jesus coming for us in the near future. Hmm. Yes, and, and um, I, I know that that is such a glorious thing that the church is not, for the most part, is not teaching anymore mm. uh, his, his coming. And so I think that because this absolutely all flows together, how can you leave that off in these days we're living in? Yeah, he is returning, friends. We don't mm-hmm. know when. We have so many clues about, about how and when and why, uh, but we, mm-hmm. we just don't know when. Um, Really briefly now, back to uh, how do we know the apostles weren't lying? So we're, we're just trying to answer the skeptics, right, about the resurrection. First of all, they could not possibly have removed the body. The tomb was no. sealed. It was guarded. Um, and, and everyone would have, would, have, would have known or there would have been witnesses that saw them. Also, the local people, that would have spread like wildfire. They would, But they were... Here, think about their state at the time. To them, Jesus is in the tomb. He died. He was crucified. He was in the tomb. He was buried. They're hiding behind closed, locked doors for fear at that time. So they, and plus, they had no motive. What would be their motive to steal the body? They only suffered for the claim that, that, uh, the tomb was empty. So we've got to look at this from an apologetic standpoint. Um, also, the resurrection is not legend because there wasn't enough time for the legend to develop. The first, also, here's an interesting point, Jonathan. I want to get your thoughts. The first eyewitnesses were women. Yeah. What reliable writer or document at that time, when women's testimony was not valued as much as a man's, would have said, hey, the first women to see Jesus after he was resurrected, or the first witnesses were women? What do you think about that? Yeah, that's another solid proof for the resurrection, because if um, these disciples were indeed deceitful and making up the story, 
They never would have had women be the first ones to discover the the empty tomb, Mm -hmm. the missing body. They never would have had um, Jesus' first encounters after his resurrection be with women. They just, you know, a made-up story from that period would not have done that. So it's another convincing proof that Jesus is indeed alive. There was a lot of what we call embarrassing uh, testimony. You know, talk something about the 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 e words: excruciating, embar- early testimony, eyewitness testimony. There's embarrassing testimony because that's not something. If you're a man at that time, going, "What do you mean a man didn't see him first? You know, there's a little bit of pride there, but also embarrassing testimony. Peter's bumbling mistakes, foot in mouth Peter, and all of his mistakes, and then he turned out to be a pillar. In the early church. And so the, uh, what about doubting Thomas? You've got people that saw him when he appeared in the upper room, came with, through the locked door somehow. He appears uh-huh. to them, showed him his hands and feet, and there were those who doubted. Why would you write that if you're trying to mm-hmm. you know, magnify your Messiah? If it wasn't true, why would you write such embarrassing details? Yeah, in Matthew 28, um, it also says that, you know, the... The disciples on the very day of the ascension, they were still struggling with the fact that that Jesus was actually physically alive. You know, they still had a few doubts in their mind, which were all erased by the day of Pentecost, of course. But, (laughs) but yeah, I mean, these were just weak men, you know, just like you and me, and they... You know, they'd never heard of someone rising from the dead like Jesus did, mm-hmm. and it took a while for them to grasp. They mm-hmm. did not want to believe it at first. Well, Lazarus they had a difficult time, yeah. and so yeah, that's just another evidence that that they did not make up the story. Mm-hmm. And of course, um, as Chuck Colson points out, you know, you have twelve men, well, eleven plus Paul, that were willing to die for for what they believed and not recant any of their story. Mm-hmm. And the story stuck around for centuries. Oh, and yeah. uh, I think Chuck Colson made the the comparison that during Watergate you couldn't mm-hmm. you couldn't keep a, a story under wraps <laughs> with, with with a couple yeah, men. Yeah. Well, another thing that uh, Paul and John and Jude were dealing with at the time is Gnosticism, and a lot of people don't necessarily uh, know what that means. But it actually means that the body was never was not of any value; only the spirit had that's value, right. and the corporeal body didn't mean anything. And so uh, that's mm-hmm. still with us today. And people need to understand that uh, Mormonism is Gnosticism. They believe that. God the Father was mortal, and and uh, he was an exalted, resurrected man. Uh, he grew into his deified status. And Jesus that, was created, right? Right. Yeah. So that's that's pure Gnosticism. Islam, no cross, no resurrection, and they say someone else hung on the cross, but they don't know whom. Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, Jesus was raised as a spirit, not bodily. Again, that's wow. Gnosticism. They do not believe humans possess an immortal soul or spirit, but they do believe that resurrection is possible because of the hundred forty-four thousand. I'm just, and of course, it's going through this very briefly. There's so much more to these. But then um, also some Corinthians, it says, um, Paul says, say there was no resurrection because there was common thinking in that Greek and Roman world that the material human body was bad, but the soul was the spark of glory and good. Uh, And then, of course, the Sadducees did not either. So when we embrace things like uh, Mormonism and Jehovah Witnesses, you have to look at what they believed about the resurrection. Otherwise, that whole belief system is truly vain. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Go ahead, Jonathan, really briefly. 
Okay, and it shows the influence of, of Plato, too, that mm-hmm. Platonism, right. that, that the material is evil mm-hmm. and just the spiritual is good. Mm-hmm. Uh, boy, brother, it went by so fast today. Uh, guys, Jonathan Brentner, when we, if you missed the first segment, he's got a brand new book out called Cancel This, What Today's Church Can Learn from the Bad Guys of the Bible. You can get it at Amazon.com. Uh, brother, thank you again. Mm-hmm. We'll uh, talk to you again in the near future. Okay, it's my pleasure to be, to be with you, David and Mary. Thank you. All right, happy Resurrection Weekend yes. as well. Um, by the way, friends, the Resurrection, it guarantees that we as believers get to live forever in His presence. We will appear before Christ, be like Him, be filled with joy in His presence forever and weak. No one can be saved by any other name. No one, all mankind. It's mm-hmm. got to be the name of Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. Guys, thanks for tuning in and happy Good Friday, Easter, Resurrection Weekend. Monday, John Howler. We're going to get a prophecy update. There's always so much going on. It's hard to just do it in one hour. We will try to do that with Mr. Howler. Uh, Tuesday, Alex McFarland rescheduled. He is with us Tuesday with Mary and I. We're going to be talking about the Truth for a New Generation uh, conference and also just cultural events that uh, have some people's heads spinning. We're going to talk with Alex and make some sense out of it. Guys, thanks so much for subscribing to the podcast and for sharing it. God bless you. And as always, keep speaking the truth about things that matter.